Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And on today's show, as we launch season five, man, am I stoked about this. First of all, can I just stop real quick and say thank you so much for being there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching both on thethrillerzone.com and YouTube. It has been a ride and a half. Now, for those folks who are looking for a big year-end extravaganza, I bypassed it this year because I took off to spend some time with family, which was much deserved. A little wedding, a little grandkids time, and it was delightful. But I am back and raring to go here in season five. So excited. And who better than to kick off brand new month, Megan Abbott, Beware the Woman. Oh my goodness. I read this book in a blink and a half. You think it's one thing, and then it's another. <laughs> it was unnerving, as you're going to hear all about it inside the show. So why don't I stop babbling? I just want to say thank you again for joining us here in Season 5 as we kick off a new season of The Thriller Zone. Join me in welcoming Megan Abbott to The Thriller Zone. There's a few things I've learned about you that seem, at first glance, a little bit unusual for a crime novelist. Yes. <laughs> And I mean this in like the ex in the absolute best way possible. When I was doing research to put together artwork, I ran across, you know, photographs of you and so forth. And I'm like, oh, doesn't she look sweet and demure and lovely? <laughs> and she could be a speaker or a, you know. And then I start read then I start uh, reading this book, of course, and I'm like, oh, uh, it's a good thing we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't get on my bad side. <laughs> First of all, thank you and welcome to the Thriller Zone. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this. When I told some friends that you were going to be on, they're like, you got Megan coming on? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, she's like one of my favorites. I'm like, Aww. oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, so nice. And I hate to admit it. I, I'm not particularly familiar with you, so I apologize for not having no. read everything. Not at all. Oh my God. Not at all. Not at all. We can't, we can't do that. You know, there's just too much. So but <laughs> we I will find say, them when we find them. <laughs> yes. That's a great way to look at it. We find them when we find them, but beware the woman. I'm going to say this one thing Then I want to get into a little yeah. bit of just backstory. This was uh, it's a family outing folks that takes a terrifying tale. And it, it was something I wasn't expecting when I first saw it. I'm like, Oh, I know what this is. It's beware the other woman. And I'm thinking, <laughs> my mind went down this whole path and I'm like, so when you started surprising me page after page, I'm like, this is what you get, David, for judging uh, <laughs> a book by its cover. Yes. It's a, uh, it's full of surprises. That one <laughs> for me too. Well, yeah. But, and we're, we're going to get to a little bit of that because I do want to know about your background. I mean, I love it when I find out where folks, um, 
grew up and so forth. So I, I, my question out of the gate was, what was it like growing up in the suburbs of Detroit in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it was it was a real downtime for the city. Um, it was really coming off sort of the you know the auto industry in decline. So it was really one a one industry city that had lost a lot of its industry. So it was really um, sort of like post empire. You know, the empire had fallen. So it was there was a kind of um, sense of what was what had passed everything glorious had passed which I guess is good for a novelist it's good uh, good drama uh, but definitely was a little bit of a shell of what it once was now it's very much on the rebound but but for most of my uh, uh, all the time I lived there it was in decline <laughs> it's recovered from me now <laughs> yeah well, I was there in, I was on the radio in Detroit in the mid 80s. So about a decade and a half later ish. And what I loved about it, I worked in Dearborn, lived in Southfield and had a whole gaggle of friends in Gross Point. Oh, yeah. So all these different microcosms, what I loved about Detroit was the fact that you had, it was like entirely different worlds. It wasn't, it didn't feel like just different suburbs. You had Greek Town, and then you had Gross Point, and then you had the working part of the city, and it was just I had, it had to have been uh, even even with that decline, as you said, uh, a robust and, and an exciting place to grow up. I mean, Gross Point. I wouldn't say it was exciting, but but it was surrounded by that. No, you're right. It's a really interesting city, um, and obviously very diverse. And uh, but Gross Point, you know, it's so you know brushes right up against Detroit, and it really is sort of this famous line you cross at Eight Mile, and it Gross Point is sort of very placid and serene and. It's sort of always, Eisenhower is always president in Gross Point, is the way I put it. I feel like you're going back in time. And uh, uh, so there's something sort of um, magical and maybe um, um, unnerving about it that, that's interesting. And then, you know, Detroit with, you know, Motown and this sort of story history and this sort of... Um, energy to it, um, you know, it was a real contrast. And yeah, the West Side uh, is a whole different scene, closer to New York, uh, really where I live now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a real sprawl and a real fascinating sprawl. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, it had to, if uh, this is what I really want to drill down on, because it had, I'd love to know how it influenced your growing up and did it help craft your passion for crime fiction and and did this passion start out of the gate way back boy i think in part it did i was one of those kids that really loved uh true crime um and would buy the you know the you know when you go to the drugstore back in the days and there would be the spiral rack of paperbacks and there'd always be like helter skelter and <laughs> i just loved that stuff um i think I always had this sense that there were that, that adults were keeping secrets from kids and that there was this whole world that one didn't know about and so I loved mysteries and and true crime and and certainly movies especially gangster movies and uh, what I would later come to know is called film noir but like you know secrets and um, and sort of pulling the cloak back and finding out what you know what's really going on um, this sort of un sense that there was something underground that was much more interesting. <laughs> interesting. 
That's funny because that was my next question. I read where you you love the 30s and the 40s in particular, and I thought that what a uh, what a choice time to be brought up watching that kind of film, and and and, and I can see that influence in your writing with that because it's it's not straight ahead uh, fiction and crime. It's this this dark underbelly of noir that just, and it, and it peaks its head every once in a while and then goes back down. And it's, it's such a ride. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, no, I think it, it is, I guess it's sort of that childhood notion. I'm like, you want to peep through the peep hole, you know, and I've, sure. I've never really lost that feeling of that. There are sort of two, two realities existing at once. And, you know, one is sort of yours, your state everyday life, but you could at any moment, you could sort of slip into the other one where all the excitement, and dangers are and certainly I got that from movies but I you know uh, and then later from from um, crime fiction which uh, it, it came to more in my teens and, and just sort of fell in love with it did you have siblings growing up Yes, I have a brother who's a year older, Josh, and he uh, he's a prosecutor, actually. So he's very much in the business of crime as well. So he's, he's a good resource. I was going to say, did that having a sibling with a perhaps similar passion help fuel that? We certainly um, talk a lot about true crime now, and and even to a certain extent in my teens. So he, you know, so we we come at it from different points of view. As uh, someone on the prosecutorial side, he's very much um, on the side of law and order, <laughs> and I tend to write about criminals. So um, I guess that's a it's a good match. But uh, I, I, for instance, I never have written about a cop or a detective as a hero. I really prefer to write about um, regular people who sort of fall into or become involved in crime. So it's a slightly different angle, but, but same interests for sure. And who may just be innocent bystanders and you think they're perfectly innocent bystanders until life pushes them in the face or to the ground and they fight back and all of a sudden they take the law into their own hands. Yes, yes. Very well put. I, I think that's one of the things that has always interested me is sort of that crossing of that line, what we're all capable of in, in different situations or sort of pressed to. That's always what I liked about true crime is what people will do in the right set of circumstances, including find a way to survive, that which is part of it, but also find a way to, to um, find darker aspects of themselves is different, different also, also part of that <laughs> well this is a perfect place to interject um i know that uh <clears throat> jody uh, foster is going to be on the new true detective coming out uh, very shortly and so my wife and i thought let's go back to the original and start watching them back to back to ramp up and so we just finished the first season last night and sure enough half almost right at the end uh, we both turned to each other and said if you got in a sticky situation, and I'm phrasing it slightly differently, and somebody was coming at you within an inch of your life, what would it take to push you over the edge? And it's amazing when you've been with someone for so long and then you learn a little piece and you're like, oh, so you would do that? <laughs> Honey, can I get you anything to eat or drink? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. That's when you really find out who you're married to when you have those discussions. <laughs> but it does beg the question, doesn't it? Yes. How far, how far does it take you to be pushed until you go, all bets are off, right? Yes. I've always sort of been interested in um, 
people who think they're good, um, so I often find they're the most dangerous because they're not really in touch with um, that other side of themselves and until they're in those situations. So I think those are the most dangerous people usually, as opposed to someone who's sort of can, can wrangle with their, with their um, inclinations, their sort of bad behavior a little more openly. It's a good thing we don't pull out the couch about now, Megan, because uh, <laughs> growing up as a preacher's kid, I'm sure oh, I'm yeah. the worst. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it always gets that reaction right there. Oh, <laughs> oh, one of oh, you're that. You're the PK. Oh, well, you're very, very in touch with the issues of, of good and evil, uh, darkness and light. I would say it's you're you're, you're well acquainted. <laughs> And it's funny to use it as a parallel in this conversation. It is funny when you consider that we'll just use the big phrase of the church is all about shining the light on darkness. When in reality, uh, there's more than a fair share of darkness up in there. There is, there is, and it's not as simple binary as we might think. You know, these aren't not aren't necessarily opposites, and um, I think it's sort of often crime novels sort of peel back the sort of veneer of civilization, and it's surprisingly we're surprisingly closer to the wilderness than than we might think. I think that's really true. I like that phrase, peeling back the veneer of civilization. Yeah. Yeah, and showing you what it really is. Yes, yes. It's interesting what your wife's response, because I do think there's a reason that women are the biggest consumers of true crime and crime fiction. And I think, you know, women are sort of raised to have a, have, to have a certain amount of uh, self-protection, uh, like just be, to be safe. Safety is always a, a sort of so much more present in a different way than it is for men. So I think, um, I think that, that there's something in these books that speak to them living with that kind of uh, uh, fear is, uh, you know, it's a low level, but it's humming, you know, walking down the street, dark street is just a little different, has a little different tenor, I think, for women than for men. So I think there's something in these books that speak, speak to them. You know, and speaking of that, Megan, I think it's so interesting that the very tip top most popular podcasts right now have to do with true crime. And to your point, I think nearly all of the podcast hosts are women or predominantly uh, predominantly women. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. So I think that sort of there's deal with a lot of the topics that are sort of forbidden or in polite conversation that women deal with, you know, sort of, you know, upsetting stuff like domestic abuse, but also complicated relationships you know, in, in the family, um, you know, these, these sort of um, certainly all kinds of assault issues and there's, you're not supposed to talk about them, right? So, but you can when you're talking about true crime. So it sort of gives this sort of permission and to sort of let out your rage because <laughs> I think there's a lot of that on those podcasts. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of judgment and rage in some of them where, um, and a lot of like wanting to understand and, and but also sometimes, you know, solve, solving, it feels like solving something for yourself. Maybe it can be, it can be right. very personal. I've also noticed that if uh, adult beverages are involved in said podcast, <laughs> the rage tends to, um, uh, climb exponentially in yes. accordance with said volume of that's, beverage. That's right. As in real life, as we know, <laughs> a lot of crimes involve that as well. So. <laughs> 
As it should be. I mean, it's right. yeah. Okay. Hey, one more thing about backstory before we move on to your latest book. I'm I'm curious because this is awesome. You're living a little slice of my dream because being a novelist is one thing, but being able to uh, slide into the next realm, I call it, when you get into screenwriting and then uh, the next, which is producing. So here you've got screenwriting for the deuce on HBO. Then you got uh, Dare Me for you, uh, USA Network. Now, was that part when you were originally starting out way back at uh, U of M and getting your degree there, which great school, by the way, um, and then your PhD? I mean, were you that far back? Were you thinking, oh, not only am I going to, you know, bang out great thriller novels, but baby, I'm going for screenwriting and producing. No, I always loved movies so much, but I had no idea how one did that. Um, um, you know, I had, I mean, it was so, it could not have been more mysterious to me how one becomes involved in the movies. It felt as far away as Oz. Uh, so I really kind of backed into it. You know, Oz often the case when you write crime novels, people will option your work. You know, it has, you know, there has, because the energy of a crime story, and it was really through, um, my own work that I got involved and have really now for over 10 years, uh, written for TV and, and a little less for film. Um, and I've loved it because it does feel like a dream come true. Uh, adapting my own has been great, but, um, adapting other people's books and working on the deuce, of course, to work with some of my writer heroes like George Pelicanos and Richard Price. Um, so it's been a great side gig. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it really only, it only really snuck in the back door uh, on that one, for sure. I had no plan. <laughs> well, I have a funny feeling, and I don't know you. I'm getting to know you very well now, and I've listened to you speak at a couple of different things. And I go, you know, she'd make a great director, too. I mean, so if you ever want to, you know, you combine your storytelling ability, your screenplay adaptation, and then your ability to direct people and your love of film... I'm just planting a little bug in your ear. I, think. <laughs> I don't know if I have a loud enough voice. <laughs> if I say the directors I've known, but, but, you know, I guess that's what the megaphone is for, right? That <laughs> I was going to say two things. Either the megaphone or your uh, first AD. Oh, All that's right, dude. That's right. Just turn to your right. first AD and go, can you please tell me to get You're moving the best. You get a really big guy. <laughs> The bigger, the louder, the better. <laughs> yes, to totally. And totally. you don't have to be the bad guy. Yeah? No, it's just like gangsters know. They always have their, their right arm. Does. Oh, it's the muscle. I need the muscle. <laughs> you need the muscle because the heat is the juice. That's right. That's, That's right. All, yeah. <laughs> all right. Like I said, Beware the Woman is, uh, is a surprise. And I'd love to hear your elevator pitch. And then I'm going to give you my elevator review. Okay. If I may. <laughs> okay. Boy, the elevator one, I guess to me, it's really, it was really um, just newly married, newly pregnant woman in the haze of early love with her husband goes to, with him to visit her father-in-law in the um, remote upper peninsula of Michigan. And she really starts to realize that she doesn't know anything about uh, her husband or her father-in-law and they're, they're paying far too much attention to her pregnancy. So things go awry. <laughs> 
If that little pitch right there doesn't pull you in, they're paying way too much attention to her pregnancy. Yes. And this is what you do so well, Megan. You you do this thing of like, well, you you point in the direction, but like, well, you know, she's pregnant. And you're like, oh, of course she is. But it's all the stuff around it and the hidden, the, the looks in the, all right, there's a couple of things I want to, I, I tend to put sticky notes. Me and too. Highlights. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I put, my mother would kill me, but I, I put my favorite comment about you in the back of my book so that later when I just go back and I go, oh, yeah. yeah. So th this is what I wrote. <laughs> this book is remarkable, like one long, luxurious poem, haunting, sweet, nerve-wracking, and funny, but seriously cruel and dark and sad. This is what an author with a PhD in literature and 11 novels under her belt looks like. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but can I do this? Because every once in a while Please. you would you'd write something and 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 I would have to stop and I'd go, and this is the perfect example. And I had just gotten started and I had to stop and I'd go, did I just read that? The closer we got, it was as if the air pressure in the car had shifted. Jed's head keating to the right slightly, as if lost in that cruise control hypnosis. I remembered from elementary school. Those long weekend drives with my mom to visit Mr. Panaritz on one of his business trips and Mrs. Panaritz, none the wiser. <laughs> yeah, forgot right. about that. <laughs> There's like three good, solid things going on here. And it took me the second read to go, oh, and Miss, she was not. Oh. <laughs> That's what you always hope for, right, with your characters, is that they will start to reveal themselves to you. And, and that's that's always the best part. Because, you know, you plan the story, you plan the plot, but you don't really know your characters yet. And then I try to follow their paths, and, and then they kind of show themselves for to be, uh, which is the fun part. So you would consider yourself perhaps a straddling the fence between pantser and plotter exactly forever you know i have my kind of three acts in my head but almost everything in between is a surprise um rarely does the end change but everything else does <laughs> i think that's a great way to approach it i've been doing this show for two years now this week and I have asked people, as I will you, near the end of the show, about uh, your best piece of writing advice. And we always talk about pantser and plotter, and there's two completely different divisions. However, the ones that I find who, as I said, straddle the fence are the ones that I really, you can see it and feel it in their writing because you know, or you sense that they probably had enough outline to know where they were going. So they had a roadmap, but they didn't necessarily follow every little vein to every little root, right? Right. That's right. Because the surprise is the magic. And if you can capture the surprise yourself and then reflect that, that to me is. Yes, that, that's perfectly put because you sort of want the reader to have that feeling too. So if, if you, you know, then, you know, you, you mark one's own surprise and then you hope that the re reader will have that same feeling. And then always thinking about the reader almost obsessively when I'm writing, um, trying to sort of keep me with them and, and let them get a little ahead and then I get a little ahead. And, and part of that, yes, yeah, is, is leaving room for, for that, for, for following something um, that you hadn't quite anticipated. Well, and mission accomplished times 10, um, because it's, it's such a, 
Here, here's what you did, and and I tried to make a note to myself so I remember exactly. You make me do you make me do what very few authors do. You make me you make me stop, and I'll reread a sentence or two, and then allow myself to relive a parallel memory from my childhood. So you will spark something. You're writing about a completely different childhood, but it'll spark something that was in my childhood. And it will take me down the, and I'll, I literally did this, uh, and I would stop and I go, Oh, I remember that summer or that vacation getaway and, and how that went. And it's so wonderful and lovely. It's not just a passing thought. It's, um, it's a way to take me uh, out of the story, allow that moment and then bring it back into the darkness in this case. <laughs> and so you're provoking nostalgia without being cliche. And it's just, such a talent you have oh that's so good to hear that 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 was your response because that is always what i went to you know you want to be specific enough to spark something and then that will allow it seems, seems counterintuitive but somehow i think that allows for the reader to fill in their own but you need the specificity to sort of start the journey you know you have to you have to sort of it's almost like um a dance or uh, a flirtation right you have to give something to get something you know so you have to give a little and then and the reader will then give you something back and then the, the novel will become richer because of what they have brought to it nothing that, that i did that's so good and you know here's something megan i tend to do i will read the book generally i allow about a week to re read it and then i'll make my notes and then the day before or the day off i will just go for a long walk and i'll I'll kind of marinate or pontificate, you know, I'll just kind of ponder my notes and how the book made me feel. And this morning while I was having coffee, walking around the circle, I thought, you know what this book is kind of like, it's like, it's a cross between because of your, uh, I don't want to say rapid fires though. It's happening too fast, but it's a, it's screenplay meets there's literary essence in it, but it's a screenplay meets this crime novel yet in this. And this is the phrase that popped into my head. I said it was almost like watching a Sam Peckinpah presentation. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah, well, that's great. I, I, yeah, yeah. And you sort of all of a sudden are blown, blown into a hundred pieces. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that finale scene, uh, and I'm not going to say anything to give it no. away, but when Mama Bear gets a little bit agitated, it's like... You can see it, everything happening in slow motion and so absolutely over the tr top dramatic. It's funny that you say Peck and Puck because I was just writing a piece today about how, um, and this is going to really mislead people, the, the book is not like this, but my inspiration for that ending is really Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> just because you're in this remote setting and like lots of crazy stuff is happening and there's a young woman at the at the center and I uh, I just kept thinking of her face in that movie. So uh, um, so yeah, so I def cinema, as you can tell, is a big part, especially with big set pieces or climaxes i i you know i i try to picture it in my head like i know a lot of writers do but but i think um you know we've all been so raised on movies but for me that is a big part of like creating the full you know s smell sound everything you kind of taste all these sort of things you know and it would be one thing if you were in you know midtown japan hong kong you know like a john wick film with all this stuff no you're out in 
nowhere (laughs) with nothing. And the most dangerous thing is a maybe a mountain cat over the ridge somewhere else. And everything is so idyllic and so lovely and placid. And then all of a sudden, just the proverbial shit hits the fan. (laughs) Well, where you live, you understand that when a mountain cat can appear at any moment, I mean, you have your share of that. I think that is, yeah, sometimes it's not just a metaphor, but sometimes it is. Uh, well, I, th- I thought I thought this was interesting. You have Mama Cat, Mountain Cat, protecting the cubs. Uh, my sister lives up in the mountains of Carolina, so she sees grizzlies uh, and black bears come down the way, and and they're fine and of themselves. But if you see the cubs, you have to know. Well, you need to get moving because if you even interact with the cubs and Mama's within uh, hearing distance, you're in a wild bit of trouble. So yes. to that same point, Mama Bear protecting her own little cub. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's all I'll say. Yes, dun dun dun. Yes, good dun, point. Dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me wonder, and I wish I had the time, and I may be able to find the time. But I'm looking back. Other books you've got: "Give Me Your Hand," "You Will Know Me," "The Fever," "Dare Me," "The End of Everything." You've written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Times Magazine, the Guardian. I mean, this, you're a gal, and I don't even know how you did it at such a young age. I mean, come on. It's, it's magnificent, your body of work. Well, I, I like to keep busy. <laughs> um, I certainly, um, do you know how when you kind of stumble into something, I mean, I didn't even know I would be a novelist. I thought I would be a professor, um, you know, uh, you, but you, it's all the stuff you love. You just start to say yes to everything because you, it, you know, it is, and you, and you know, the um, crime fiction world is so tight and uh kindly going back to what we were talking about earlier the nicest people write crime fiction and and crime movies um so there's just something so intoxicating about about all of that that we all share this dark thing um but we we can sort of exercise it um from our ourselves and just sort of sharing it together so that's always been something that would just get me excited and why not say yes to everything um even if it means not much of a social life. <laughs> well, like my dad used to say, you can always turn a yes into a no easier than a no into a yes. Yes, yes. Um, I think it's interesting, though, and you're so right. Uh, you know, I have the best job in the world, being able to talk to the best thriller, mis- mystery, and suspense crime writers in the world. And I think that there couldn't be a sweeter, happier bunch of folks. I mean, way, way happier than the folks in the church, if I may. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Which is a whole different conversation. But um, do you, and this is a completely loaded question and completely unfair, so I'm going to tell you straight up front. Do you have a favorite book of yours? Did you, do you have about 11 now, right? So somewhere, yeah. do you have one you're like, man, now that one, that one right there, I, I didn't know if I could ever top that. Yeah, I mean, certainly you always you're always sort of most passionate about the most recent one because you feel like your craft has developed. Um, But then you you have sentimental favorites, I think, once you've written a few, um, and that sort of mark 
periods in your life. But I suppose for me, I'll always have a soft spot for um, The End of Everything, which is the only book that really sort of is close to my life. <laughs> um, it was really, going back to Ghost Point, it was really, even though it's not explicitly set there, it was very inspired by my childhood in the 80s in Ghost Point and that world of like wanting to peek through the peephole. And uh, and there, it's about an abduction, which didn't happen to me, thankfully. But but uh, uh, it's really was a big thing for me because it was really opening the door to something more personal, I suppose. So maybe maybe that will always be um, my sentimental favorite. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. So you referenced growing up in the 80s and Gross Point, and I cannot leave this conversation without bringing this up because one of my actually favorite movies, Gross Point Blank, John Cusack. <laughs> yes. To take the juxtaposition of Gross Point in Detroit and a hitman who is so comical. I mean... <laughs> It put us on the map. Let me just say that. <laughs> no one heard of us until that movie. And then, and now everyone has a reference point. And as a Gen Xer, you know, so that's my era, too. It's, uh, I'll always be glad for that. Uh, and it definitely made Ghost Point. Gave it a cool cachet that it yeah. would not have otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember it well. I mean, again, I was doing a morning show there in Detroit back at that, that time. And I remember when I first, I was dating this gal in Ghost Point. Oh, my and gosh. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, that that's when shot the movie, you know, it was just a, 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 a surreal kind of situation. Oh, wow. Well, and you know, oh, quick question. You said you had thought at one time that you were going to be a professor, but you had been a professor. So you've already scratched that itch, right? Well, I started, you know, I really was only a year into it when I sold my first novel. Uh, so I didn't really do it for long. And uh, I don't know if ultimately it was for me. I was teaching literature um, and uh, but I loved it. I loved I loved to talk about books all day. Uh, I still do. Um, uh, you know what that's like, you know, it's, sure. it's just a pure escape. But um, I certainly, um, the creative impulse, I guess, is what got me. But if I hadn't sold that first novel, I don't know. I might be a professor to this day. Um, so it really is sort of one of those things where you got to listen to those itches, I guess. And um, But you also have to have a little luck along the way. I always tell people that when they're seeking seeking to get their first novel published or something. Like, you know, you you have to uh, have to listen to your passion, but you also have to know that there's a, there's a lot of luck involved so you got to keep keep trying uh and it will turn for you well this might be the good best place as we start to wrap the show about um especially for my listeners who uh, i have a lot of up-and-coming writers who are really trying to master that craft so when we get to that point where we say what's that best piece of writing advice what is that for megan abbott Boy, you know, I always say, and this is especially true um, at the beginning, is like giving yourself permission to write badly because um, I think we stop ourselves so much. What we're writing doesn't feel like the book we have in our head. We, you know, if we're only writing novels, if we love books and it never comes out like we want it to. Um, and I think that really stops us. And often is why people only get through their first 30 pages of their novel and then they give up or abandon it. But if you sort of say every day I'm just going to write you know um, 500 bad words a thousand bad words and you just keep accumulating because you will revise it will get better you'll have good days and bad days but but you have to let go of all those voices 
voices in your head saying, this isn't good, this isn't what I wanted, I don't like that turn of phrase, this isn't what I pictured, that just really can stop you before you're out of the gate. And you just have to say, nope, it's just going to be bad until it's not, and I have to trust myself and, and just keep going. Tell the angel on your shoulder to just shut the hell exactly. up. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's as a, as a preacher's son, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's so funny. Tammy and I've been together now for eight years and she, every once in a blue moon, she's, I'll do something and it'll revolve around guilt. And she'll look at me like, why do you still carry that guilt around? I'm like, well, it's only programmed into you from the day you're born, for crying out loud. So, as a lapsed Catholic, I understand. <laughs> we can, we can make use of it. You know, we just have yeah. to be able to be aware of it. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, nobody ever goes out to the golf course to practice their swing and go, "Well, I didn't master it on the first uh, weekend of swinging. I'm going to give this game up." Or tennis, or cooking, or painting, or whatever else. Yet. We as writers do this ridiculous thing that we need perfection out of the gate. I'm like, it's so counterintuitive and dumb. You know, it's, yeah. it is, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, we all have those voices in our head, you know, we, whether our parents or teachers or even our own read it, read yourself that wants so much. And I think, you know, it, it really, because the, the discipline is all with writing because the only way to, to write is to keep writing all the time. And so anything that's going to prevent you from doing that, like those voices, you just have to banish at all costs, put a little sign over your computer saying, write badly, you know, like whatever it yeah. takes, you know, writers are very superstitious. And I mean, I tell myself all the time, you're just going to write some bad, bad pages today. And I, so it never goes away. We're always thinking, this isn't what I want. This isn't good enough. Um, so, you know, you just have to, it's, you have to be acquainted with your shadow self, the one that tells you it's bad. And you just have to say, I'm going to let you in the room and you can say that, but I'm going to keep writing anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put you over in the corner and I'm going to tell you to shut the hell up about every <laughs> yes. other few minutes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been absolutely delightful, Megan. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Oh, and I did I read correctly? Are you going to be at BoucherCon? Yes, I was just going to say when you mentioned San Diego. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm so looking forward to it. I haven't been in a few years, you know, as a lot of us have missed, uh, missed them. And I can't wait to be back. An excuse to go to San Diego in a non-rainy non month is <laughs> <It's> a good <laughs> thing. <laughs> Well, I do have a little inside scoop. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's end of August, September. It's absolutely perfection oh, this time of year. Excellent. Please let me take you out for a cup of tea or coffee or cocktail or whatever, because I would love to spend more time talking. That would be great. Let's make a plan. Yes, absolutely. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more, go to MeganAbbott.com. Uh, you can follow her at Megan E. Abbott. And, uh, of course, once again, the book is Beware the Woman and uh, Beware So Many Things as you read this book. <laughs> You'll look at life just a little differently. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. Thanks once again to Megan Abbott. And the book is Beware the Woman. Oh, wasn't that fun? Delightful. Mm, smart too, boy. And when you read this book, you're, you're going to do as I did. You're going to go, I didn't see that coming. I thought I saw it coming, but I didn't. Such a spectacular book. Beware the woman. You should read that now. 
And we're going to meet up at BasherCon coming up here in just, it feels like just weeks, end of uh, August, early September here in San Diego, California. By the way, if you're thinking about this, this is my own little plug. I'm not getting anything for it. If you're thinking about doing BasherCon, go ahead and trust me. Go ahead and sign up now. It's a wonderful time. Gorgeous city. We're going to have a blast and a half. And I want you to make sure you stop by, shake my hand, say hello. Maybe we'll go out and grab a refreshing beverage. San Diego is the home of craft beer, you know. Check this out. Next week, Rachel Hall, What Never Happened. <laughs> yeah, you know Rachel Hall, right? Big deal. And uh, this is what I'm so excited about. Kicking off a brand new season with two rock star women who are just writing at the top of their game. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm going to make you promise you're going to see more of this action coming up in the new season of The Thriller Zone. We are working on some things, maybe a little bit of new studio. Maybe I'll move out of the home studio eventually. Um, I know that when we were talking with Chris Hottie not this long ago, uh, doing a little studio uh, situation, it was so much fun. People loved it. I'm going to be doing more of that. So stay tuned. But coming up again, Rachel Hall, next episode of The Thriller Zone. All right, as we kick off into this new season, one of you do me a favor. I know you've heard this before. Stop on by, drop me an email if you'd like to, thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Say hello. Tell me if you'd like to be on the show. Give me the 411 on all the information that you have about your book. Also, if you want to drop us a review on your favorite podcast channel, we'd love it. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is, just drop us another little five-star review. We'd be very grateful. It could be one sentence, all right? All right, that is going to do it for me, David Temple. And once again, thank you so much for sticking with me. Going into year number, I guess this will be going into year number three. This is the front row seat to the best thriller writers in the world. And I am so glad you're here. I'm David Temple. We'll see you next time on another edition of The Thriller Zone. Your front row seat to the best thrillers. The Thriller Zone. We're normally with Popo. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.